When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Bringing you the news behind the news. The story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. Streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and all your favorite directories. And you can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. Email address is rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com. Or you can call the vent line and raise hell at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, you know, some days it's hard to come to this microphone. Yesterday I got really excited after waiting for... The obvious solution of putting an Im- immigration moratorium on and getting excited about the president's late night tweet in which he said, in light of the attack of the invisible enemy, as well as the need to protect American jobs, I will be signing an executive order to temporarily suspend immigration into the United States. Now, this is something the president should have done on his first day in office. It's been decades overdue. We're, we've been importing over a million legal immigrants, green card holders to this country for going on 35 years now. At the same time, we issue hundreds of thousands of so-called guest worker visas. Many of those guest workers come into the country and and never leave. And uh, we've had uh, so many millions of uh, illegal immigrants take up residence in the United States that we don't even know How many of them there are? Estimates range from 11 million to 25 million. And uh, and we don't know who they are, why they're here, uh, you know, what they're up to. What we do know is that uh, they have transformed the American economy into a low low wage economy uh, as businesses adjust the size of the labor pool to fit their uh, their targets on exactly what they want to pay their employees. And of course, this has gone on at the same time. They've, uh, they've shipped millions of American jobs, the best American jobs in manufacturing overseas. So when the president announced that he was going to uh, suspend immigration, I thought he was going to be keeping one of his campaign promises, but that's bad on me because, uh, by yesterday evening, after the, the, uh, cheap labor lobbies had beaten up on him and probably, threatened to withhold campaign contributions or more likely to uh, to try to pour money into Joe Biden's open borders campaign, the president backed off and said that uh, 
one, he's only going to do it for 60 days, which, you know, I could, I could get behind that if you want to, you know, sort of crack that door open and, uh, and do it for 60 days and then, uh, renew it at least until after your four years in office. Uh, I could understand that as a tactical matter, but in addition to saying that it was only 60 days, he, he clarified himself to say that, oh, well, this won't cover guest workers. Well, the whole rationale for instituting this ban was supposedly to save American jobs. And how, do, how does uh, continuing to import hundreds of thousands of guest workers open up the job market to American citizens that have been uh, forced to shelter in their homes while their businesses uh, that they work for vanished and their jobs disappeared as well. So I, I got excited about it. I, I jumped the gun. I should have uh, I should have been more cautious in bringing you this news and, and warned you that Donald Trump has made these kind of statements before only to back off. And uh, he's done it again. He's going to put this 60 day moratorium on green card holders. Well, you know, there's not uh, there's no green cards being processed right now anyway, but he's going to continue to let uh, these uh, these cheap labor lobby uh, workers flood into the country. Americans are ordered to shelter in place in their homes while their jobs are vanishing. Meanwhile, criminals are being released from jails, their shelters, and guest workers are continuing to be brought into the country. It's really quite amazing. I said on Twitter this morning, we are led by morons. And that may be giving them too much credit because it's not only moronic, it is anti-American. It is, uh, it is selling out the interests of the American people. You know, you used to be able to uh, work in a job. They, uh, they kept you in that job because, and, and competed for your labor because uh, you were a valuable um, member of the labor force. Now they've cut down a lot of these jobs to just uh, – part-time jobs so they don't have to pay you any benefits and they're flooding the the, the country with uh, workers that uh, take or taking whole sectors of the economy and construction and and um, other trades that used to be good middle-class jobs that uh, somebody could raise a family on uh, with one income by the way before the uh, the feminist movement that was financed by these uh, these big business foundations convinced that women uh, convinced women that their uh, their happiness was found by the drudgery of work and not uh, you know making a home and taking care of the family. So the president uh, at yesterday's presser, which I, I made a point of watching because uh, you know I thought this was going to be uh, where he explained this to us. I had this to say. Therefore, in order to protect American workers, I will be issuing a temporary suspension of immigration into the United States. You heard about that last night. By pausing immigration, we'll help put unemployed Americans first in line for jobs as America reopens. So important. It would be wrong and unjust for Americans laid off by the virus to be replaced with new immigrant labor flown in from abroad. We must first. Now, that was about six o'clock, uh, uh, about five forty when he said that. 
And then by last night, his his own administration was admitting that this will not apply to green car or to uh, to guest workers. We'll continue to bring in these guest workers, and they want you to believe that we're all going to starve to death if it wasn't for uh, for guest workers coming in here to pick the crops. Well, even if you buy the fact that American people are unwilling to uh, to take these jobs in agriculture if the farmers paid market wages, there's a pent-up supply of illegal immigrants already here. Millions, tens of millions of them who have also lost their jobs that would uh, would suddenly or that would certainly take those jobs. You know, there was a time when uh, when uh, these big agricultural uh, uh, operations were able to get their crops in before we had all of this illegal immigration. And I certainly think they could do it again. Yeah, they would have to uh, do capital investments in machinery to modernize their harvesting techniques. But guess what? Right now, that capital uh, investment is being made by American people through their tax dollars to provide services like schooling and health care and roads and uh, law enforcement and prison space to all of these illegal immigrants. The farmers are basically just taking the, uh, the their cost and transferring it on to social costs for the rest of us at the same time our uh, our institutions are are being degraded because of this mass immigration so uh, i apologize if i got your hopes up i i should have been uh, more uh, I should have looked at this more with a jaundiced eye because i knew i should have known that the uh, the immigrant lobby would mobilize and the Chamber of Commerce would start raising hell and the pressure would be on the president to uh, to not offend the people that can destroy his reelection campaign. Out in California, the, the Governor Gavin Newsom is, uh, is going to spend $125 million of taxpayer funds to, uh, to illegal immigrants. It's going to be earmarked for financial support for illegal immigrants. And that's, you know, in uh, response to uh, to the business lobby out there and especially the agricultural interests that demand, absolutely demand, will not take no for an answer, high levels of illegal immigration. Hey, I want to ask you a favor. Um, we do this periodically. I need to know where you're listening to this show uh, this uh, this era of podcasting, it's very difficult to to tell your audience size because a lot of these uh, directories that serve the show um, they don't they don't redirect it to uh, to the servers at Spreaker where the show is carried. They uh, they download the show and they serve it from their own shows, and a lot of times they strip out um, your intro and out, outro ads and replace it with their own, but. I really need to know where you're listening. Could you shoot me an email? The address is right now, Jim Dawes at gmail.com. That's right now, Jim Dawes. It's spelled D A W S, no E. And let me know where you're catching this show. Let me, t- let me know what time of day you listen as well, if you would. It'd be a big help to me. Another thing that'd be a big help, if you could, if you're on Twitter and you see uh, this show posted, if you could just uh, retweet 
the link to that show, either the live announcement uh, that goes out before the three o'clock broadcast on uh, Mojo Five O or the podcast that follows at four o'clock. I'd be very grateful to you. So now, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's coming more and more in focus what the actual denominator is on the, the equation that will tell us the mortality rate of this virus. They've done tests in, uh, in Santa Cruz or Santa Clara, I'm sorry, and Los Angeles and in New York. They've done sample testing that turns out that a, a much higher number of people actually uh, caught this virus without showing any symptoms whatsoever, not even being aware that they were carriers or had been carriers, I should say, because uh, the virus uh, runs its course and you develop uh, immunity in, in a couple of weeks. But uh, that has, of course, driven this this mortality rate lower and lower. And uh, Dr. Deborah Burks announced at yesterday's uh, presser that the United States has got the lowest mortality rate in the world from the Wuhan virus. And uh, I think people are starting to realize, you know, exactly what's going on here. And that's uh, the source of a lot of these protests. The reason uh, that we've got the lowest mortality rate, rate is because we've, we're doing more testing by far than any other country. The Democrats, you know, uh, are running out of things to gripe about. So they're saying, well, we need more testing. We need more testing. The problem from their point of view is the more testing we do, the more we learn the true mortality rate of this. And it is extremely low just at this point, uh, slightly above that of the seasonal flu. And, and you really, you know, as we're learning more and more about the denominator, uh, the the numerator is also coming into more and more question because a lot of these deaths that are being attributed to the Wuhan virus are in fact just uh, anybody who, who dies of a respiratory distress or who die as carriers of the virus, even those that uh, would not otherwise, you know, show symptoms from, from the virus, heart attacks, um, uh, diabetes, old age. You know, we know a goodly number of the people that are dying and being attributed to this virus over 100 years old. So the the, the denominator is much larger and the numerator, I believe, is much smaller. And Dr. Burks uh, pointed out yesterday that uh, at this point we have the lowest mortality rate of, uh, of any of the other big countries protect individuals that may be in the most critically vulnerable states. We will continue to see mortality and deaths among our American citizens, particularly in the cities as they begin to move past peak because deaths will lag. And so we really need to continue to unite and really, really, really support our health care providers who are still on the front lines. They have been on the front lines now for weeks. 
and weeks and weeks. And so no matter what city they have been in, they have not seen the relief that we've been able to talk about at the at light at the end of the tunnel because of the delay in hospitalizations and deaths. So to our health care providers, to our respiratory therapists, and to everyone in the labs, thank you for the work that you're doing to protect Americans and give us one of the lowest mortality rates in the entire world. Thank you. Well, we do have that low mortality rate because we're doing more testing. And uh, and as we do more testing, it will drive the mortality rate lower and lower. Uh, a, a reporter, I'm sorry about the length of that last clip. This next one uh, is going to be a little shorter but and more to the point. But uh, one of the reporters asked her about all of these studies that are showing that uh, the virus is, is far more widespread than being reported and uh, and it's starting to look more and more like a seasonal flu individuals that may be in the most critically vulnerable states we will continue to see mortality and deaths among our Americans well I do apologize for uh, for that misstep uh, this is the clip I'm trying to play come on clip Is as much as almost 40 times what it was believed to be that as many as 400. Dr. Burst, Here we go. Um, University of Southern California in the L.A. County Public Health put out a report today that suggests that the penetrance of the virus is as much as almost 40 times what it was believed to be that as many as 442,000 people in L.A. County may have been infected. That's John Roberts. It suggests two things. It suggests that you have a lot more people out there who could be spreading the virus. But it also suggests that the case fatality rate is more in line with the 2017-2018 flu than what we've seen in some other areas of the world. But I'm wondering if you've seen that and what your thoughts were. So we're looking at all those studies very carefully. And I think um, you will remember over the last three weeks, I've been talking about the level of asymptomatic spread and my concern about asymptomatic spread. Because um, with flu and other diseases, when people are sick, it's easy to contact trace. When people are not sick and shedding virus. Well, I'm not going to go on with that clip. Uh, basically, she does not address the question whatsoever. Uh, you know, in John Roberts' question, he refers to uh, the mortality rate in the United States is much lower than other countries. Again, that's because other countries aren't doing near the extent of testing as we are here in the United States. So I just wonder at some point when a history is written of this mass hysteria and they look at the actual um, death rate from this this flu, if uh, if we're not going to, to realize that uh, basically we, we wrecked the economy uh, out of panic. And that panic was stoked, of course, by the Chinese themselves. It was stoked by the duplicity and the deception of the World Health Organization. And it was it was stoked by our media. You, you recall in the early days of this crisis, the president uh, uh, said that I don't think the mortality rate is going to be anything close to what the World Health Organization was now saying after they stopped their cover-up. And he was absolutely excoriated. They, uh, they, they fell all over themselves to demand that the president listen to the scientists to take Burke's and Fauci's advice. And that's what he did because they trotted into his office and said that uh, as many as 2.2 million people might die for this virus if he doesn't shut the economy and, and, uh, and issue these guidelines telling everybody to shelter in place. So he allowed himself to be buffaloed. I kind of don't, don't 
feel real bad, uh, uh, you know, toward him about that because if somebody's who is, you know, got superior knowledge to you is telling you something like that, then you have to err on the side of caution. But this was this is going to go down in history. I'm convinced as one of the greatest episodes of mass hysteria in the history of the world. So, you know, back when the president was uh, was telling people to remain calm, and, and as a matter of fact, the, <laughs> it was originally the media that was telling people to remain calm until the president started telling people to remain calm. And then they spun on a dime and decided that uh, panic was the appropriate response that led to all of this. Uh, and now the, you know, the Democrats talking point is the president uh, didn't take quick enough action. Well, Dan Crenshaw appeared on uh, on Bill Maher's Friday night show on HBO and just absolutely destroyed him. I'm not going to play you that clip because it's too long and uh, and really uh, it's got Bill Maher spouting BS too much. But I did find a clip of Dan Crenshaw defending the president's response to this in the face of this uh, withering criticism from the establishment media. You need to hear this because you're being bombarded right now with these really over the top accusations against the president that he's got blood on his hands, that his denial and delay has cost lives and that basically he took no action until it was too late. The question is, is any of this true? Let's start back in January. January 15th, the first patient with coronavirus enters the United States from Wuhan. That was also the same day that these impeachment pens were being handed out. But luckily, the administration was on top of it. A couple of days later, January 17th, they were already implementing screenings at San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York airports for flights coming in from Wuhan. But still, even about a week later, our mainstream media was still promoting things like this. Doctors saying, hey, this isn't a big deal, not much more dangerous than the flu. Nevertheless, President Trump did implement that travel restriction on January 31st, even though things like the World Health Organization were saying no need to limit trade and movement. And they largely criticized President Trump's travel restrictions. Same day, January 31st, that Nancy Pelosi proposed the No Ban Act, which would actually stop President Trump from implementing the life-saving travel restrictions that he did implement. So was everybody else really sounding the alarm at this point in time? No, of course not. Headlines like these were being written, and constantly, and by mainstream outlets. Again, I don't blame them. These are the facts they had at the time. Adam Schiff, the uh, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, was getting regular updates in that committee. But he didn't even publicly talk about coronavirus until February 25th. And let's not forget that President Trump did talk about the coronavirus in the State of the Union on February 4th. What happened to that State of the Union? That Nancy happened. tore it up. So fast forward a couple of weeks when the president actually asked Congress for supplemental funding to combat the virus, two and a half billion dollars. What did Nancy Pelosi do? Instead of putting that money on the House floor to be voted on, she put a bill to ban flavored tobacco. That was the priority of the Speaker of the House. You also hear a lot of criticism for Trump being overly optimistic. But this is what Nancy Pelosi was saying in late February, telling people to go out and enjoy themselves for the Chinese New Year. Come to Chinatown. Here we are. Same with Bill de Blasio in New York City. You need to hear. Well, when the president was being optimistic, he was listening to his instincts. He was listening to the experts and uh, and he was making a, uh, a, you know, a conclusion based on their information. And the optimism was the correct path to take. 
He allowed himself to be buffaloed on on this, just the same as he allowed himself to be buffaloed on his uh, on his uh, moratorium on immigration. Both of those things were the right thing to do. Uh, the president, in the face of uh, withering opposition, allowed himself to be buffaloed, and uh, and that has led to this this catastrophe in the uh, in the economy. Well, the World Health Organization director Tedros, who uh, who covered up for China and uh, who spread misinformation that allowed the world to get a late start on its uh, its coronavirus response, has issued uh, probably the most half-assed, insincere apology you will ever see in your life. It was a one, one word went out on Twitter: forgive. Not, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Not, I'll try to do better, please forgive me. Just says, forgive. And the best reply I saw to that was also one word, accountability. I've got a better reply than that, though. My reply to his one word, half-assed apology, forgive, would be, resign and the United States about not to put another dollar into the World Health Organization until this Marxist China enabler resigns as the head of it we got to run out to a break when we come back we're going to catch up on the Russia hoax and the uh, the oil markets right after these messages on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 radio network stick with us When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, what's the word, delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture. From an America First perspective. Well, it was just last week, Attorney General William Barr, appearing with Laura Ingram, gave his opinion on uh, what do you think went, went on with the crossfire hurricane investigation, the Russia hoax, and the, uh, the Obama administration's attempt to first prevent the election of Donald Trump and then destroy his presidency afterwards, based on what is now proven to be Russian disinformation contained 
in this uh, the so-called Steele dossier that was paid for by Hillary Clinton. Robert Mueller spent two and a half years investigating Russian interference in the election, but he never bothered to look at uh, the sources that Hillary Clinton paid for in this uh, Steele dossier, which was, in fact, directly from Russian intelligence sources. It was coordinated Russian disinformation, but we're still supposed to believe this hoax that somehow Donald Trump was, uh, was a, uh, a puppet of Vladimir Putin. So Barr went on with Laura Ingram and gave his opinion of that, and, uh, and it sounded something like this. Because I think what happened to him was one of the greatest travesties in American history. Without any basis, uh, they uh, started this investigation of his campaign. Uh, and even uh, more concerning, actually, is what happened after the campaign, the whole pattern of events while he was president. Uh, so I uh, to sabotage the presidency. And uh, I, I think that, uh, or at least had the effect of sabotaging the presidency. Well, it, it was done to sabotage the presidency. It was first done to try to keep him from winning, then to try to destroy his presidency. And uh, and a lot of uh, talk since Barr made those statements on Laura Ingram's show have been that uh, uh, Spygate, the Russia hoax, indictments are coming this week. These are for, from um, you know people in the know, Greg Jarrett, um, John Solomon, uh, Andrew McCarthy and others who have, you know, deep insights into the justice department. And as if right on cue, Bill Burr, the, uh, disgraced chairman of the Senate intelligence committee issues a report that says, Oh no, there was no misconduct in the law enforcement and intelligence agencies during crossfire hurricane. You'll recall that Bill Barr, uh, or I mean that, um, uh, William I'm going to get it right here in a second. Richard Burr issued a similar response to the uh, the, the FISA uh, abuse. He issued a, a report saying, "No, the, nothing wrong here. All of these uh, these FISA warrants were uh, based on solid information that was provided to the FISA court by the FBI." Of course, we know that the Inspector General came out and debunked that that there were 27 different separate examples of uh, false information or deliberately omitted information from those warrants that allowed uh, the deep state to get a look inside the Trump campaign by, um, by spying on Carter Page. And I always have to stop here because this, uh, this aspect of it is always uh, ignored in the mainstream media. They weren't concerned with what, Carter Page was up to. They were just using him as a, an entree into the campaign because those FISA warrants allow you to, to look back at all of people's uh, phone calls, and they record them, store them on big servers, emails, text messages, everything, every interaction he had with the Trump campaign going back and on everybody who uh, who he communicated with, it allowed them to have uh, uh, access to all of their voice, emails, and text going all the way back as well. They were spying on the Trump campaign. Sally Yates 
uh, authorized this and coordinated it with the Trump administration and uh, with the Obama administration. And to this day, nobody has asked Barack Obama what he knew and when he knew it about what his um, CIA and FBI were up to. But anyway, now, just in time for these indictments that are were being uh, led to believe are coming out this week, Richard Burr trots out this uh, this new report that the media is uh, is just lapping up that says, oh no, there were uh, there were legitimate reasons to look into the Trump campaign that there was nothing that went wrong. It just totally flies into the face of all the facts we've we've learned since uh, since the crossfire hurricane hurricane investigation. There are a lot of things that are still being covered up. Uh, I, it amazes me always that uh, Felix Sater, who was a longtime CIA informer and operative, and who uh, who dangled the prospect of a Trump Tower in Moscow if only uh, Michael Cohen could arrange a, a phone call between Vladimir Putin and uh, then-candidate Donald Trump. He's, uh, he's escaped almost complete scrutiny. And I guess this is because of these, uh, you know, these secret laws that uh, they're not allowed to talk about um, these so-called sources and methods. Well, sources and methods in this case were abused. They were used as political surveillance against the opposing party's presidential campaign. And they included Felix Sater. They included Stephen Halper. Um, uh, they, they, uh, um, oh shoot. I can't remember some of the other names, but, um, but they, they, um, Hank Greenberg, they had, uh, they had, they were running agents at peripheral members of the Trump campaign, trying to snare them and entrap them into some sort of, um, something that they could feed to Hillary Clinton to take down Trump's campaign. And now Richard Burr, who uh, stood by and allowed all of this to happen while he held Mark Warner's coat on the Senate Intelligence Committee and allowed Mark Warner to hijack the Senate Intelligence Committee to make it a, uh, you know, an anti-Trump arm of the Senate, is doing it again after being disgraced when he was caught liquidating his entire stock portfolio after a coronavirus briefing, while at the same time he was telling uh, his constituents that it's nothing to worry about. Y'all remain calm while I sell off everything that I've got in the stock market. Well, it looks like uh, Nancy Pelosi has, uh, has felt the heat and seen the light. She is, uh, she is going to allow this um, paycheck protection program to be uh, reauthorized and add, I think, $350 million, billion, $350 billion. But uh, she's added some money in there for hospitals, and I, I would bet by tomorrow we'll learn of a lot of little uh, perks and pork that will be shoveled out the door to her constituents. Now, I guess when you... Uh, issue these orders that shuts down the economy. You have to take some responsibility for the fallout from that and try to keep these, uh, these struggling small businesses alive and their employees on the payroll. 
But you got to wonder at what point is all of this going to come back and bite us in the ass? The first um, coronavirus relief package was $2 trillion. Then they added another uh, $500 billion to that in so-called phase two. Now in phase three, there uh, it's going to be another $500 billion. So we're up to $3 trillion. And this was on top of a debt that was already running at $22 trillion. And it's at the same time that the price of oil has, has plummeted. Now I don't want, I don't want to overly, uh, freak people out because you know, they were selling, they were, they were paying you to take oil off their hands for a short period of time. I I think that that's not going to last. That's not going to be where the market settles, but you also have to keep in mind that, uh, the United States, uh, dominant position as, as the world's reserve currency is tied to oil has been, uh, since, uh, the 1970s. It's why we've been in bed with the, uh, the, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, monarchy for all of this time is because, uh, as long as they only sell oil denominated in dollars, then the United States having fallen off of the gold standard can continue to enjoy its, it's a privileged spot as the world's reserve currency. But if that collapses, we're going to be subject to um, an economic crisis that will make this current shutdown uh, look like child's play. So I want to play you a clip. This is an old explainer. Uh, It is before this current collapse of the oil markets, but it it does talk about um, dips in the market. On, uh, on what's going on in the oil market, and then I'll, uh, I'll try to explain exactly what's going on with these so-called petrodollars. A battle is raging in global oil markets. Saudi Arabia has unilaterally increased its oil production levels in retaliation for Russia refusing to agree with OPEC requests for production cuts. This has caused the biggest single-day drop in global oil prices since the Gulf War in 1991. How did we get here? Coronavirus, in addition to creating a massive international health crisis, is also impacting global markets and economies. One consequence of the virus is that global demand for oil has dropped, causing a huge oil surplus, thus forcing prices down. China, the world's biggest oil importer, is now consuming much less energy because of the disruption to its manufacturing industry. Refineries there cut their oil imports by 20% last month, and it's estimated that in the first quarter of this year, global oil usage is 3.9 million barrels per day lower than last year. In order to maintain balance in the market and protect their economies, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, decided to cut oil production by about 1.5 million barrels per day. 1 million was meant to be cut by OPEC member countries and 500,000 from Russia and non-OPEC countries. This was going to be the biggest slash in production since the 2008 financial crisis. But Russia did not agree to the cut. Even though Russia is not an OPEC country, three years ago it made a deal with the organization's members that they would coordinate production levels. Well, this is the revenge of Russia. You know, we've been slapping them with these uh, these sanctions that have crippled their economy. At the same time, 
we were uh, becoming the dominant player in the oil markets in the world. And it has absolutely uh, crippled Russia's economy. So uh, Russia saw this as their opportunity to get a little payback by not agreeing to these these uh, uh, production cuts. And so what did our close friends in Saudi Arabia do in response? Amid coronavirus fears, Russia wanted to see the full impact of the virus on oil demands before taking any drastic action. But is this just about Saudis and Russia? In 2014, the US became a big player on the oil scene after it began shale extraction and captured a big piece of the global oil market. In 2018, they eventually became the world's largest oil producer, surpassing Saudi Arabia and Russia. Currently, US oil production is at an all-time high, producing 13.1 billion barrels per day. This year, US exports reached a record 4.15 million barrels a day. This has changed a decades-long dynamic in the oil market, with the US now being a net exporter of oil, not simply an importer. The US Department of Energy has said... So here's the deal. In order for us to attract, uh, to extract these shale oils from, through fracking... Uh, it it costs about $30 a gallon to do that. If if you're not getting $30 a, a barrel, I should say, if you're not getting $30 a barrel, then then that well is a uh, non-performing asset and you got to cap it. And right now you've got so much oil sloshing around that uh, there are literally tankers out to sea that can't find a port to come and unload it. And that's, uh, that's what led to the collapse. But, you know the the deeper question here is what is what effect is this going to have uh, on the United States having the dollar as the world's reserve currency when it is no longer propped up by the value of oil? How petrodollars affect the U.S. dollar. We're told that the beginnings of this petrodollar system was in 1944 at the Bretton Woods Conference. This conference was one of the big events of the 20th century because it's when it was agreed that the new global currency would be the U.S. dollar. America would be the only country that could print this currency. This is when we saw the formation of both the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. As always, the website The Balance gives a very detailed account of what this would mean. The Balance explains if a country's currency value became too weak relative to the dollar, the bank would buy up its currency in foreign exchange markets. That would lower the currency's supply and raise its price. If the currency became too high, the bank would print more. That would increase the supply and lower its price. 43 countries signed up in an effort to rebuild the world after a devastating world war and to cooperate better with each other in terms of trade. The Bretton Woods website tells us it was felt by the leaders of the allied countries, particularly the U.S in Britain that a multilateral framework was needed to overcome the destabilizing effects of the previous global economic depression and trade battles. It ended anyway in 1971 when the U.S. suffered what is called stagflation, and that means a combination of inflation and recession. This had a negative effect on nations that belong to what is called the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. Most of the member countries are in the Middle East, with others being in Central America and Africa. They well, uh, what what else happened in 1971 is France uh, chafing at the idea that the United States was going to have this privileged position as the world's reserve currency decided they didn't want to play that game anymore. And so they loaded up one of their warships with all of their uh, their dollars, literally billions of dollars they were carrying, and they uh, they sent it to sail um, 
to the United States to cash in those dollars in exchange for gold. That's when uh, Richard Nixon decided that, uh, no, we can't, uh, we can't do that because we don't have enough gold to buy all of these dollars. And he, he uh, created the so-called fiat currency that basically just uh, said that these paper dollars and, uh, and English pounds have intrinsic value on their own. Uh, that didn't last too long. And uh, the United States entered into this alliance with Saudi Arabia. This is before the huge um, expansion of petroleum exploration in Russia. And we pegged the dollar to oil. And I guess, you know, that, w- that was working great, especially after we started producing our own oil. But now that uh, oil is collapsing below the cost of production in the United States, this is a, uh, this is a disaster uh, that is that is developing it, we've got $22 trillion in debt. What if, what if, um, what if suddenly we lose our reserve currency position? I don't know. Maybe it would, uh, it would, uh, cause a retrenchment and actually having our own economy and, and stop, uh, you know, playing these Brenton wood games where, where uh, trade is uh, is the religion that Wall Street worships. Hey, I want to re- remind you to uh, go to preparewithmojo50.com. That's preparewithmojo50.com and to get your four-week emergency food supply. If you click on preparewithmojo50.com, it'll take you to My Patriot Supply, where you can save $100 on a four-week emergency food supply that provides 284 servings of breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks, 2,000 calories a day. That's the recommended daily requirement. It's normally $297, but if you order it today, you can get it for $197 and get free shipping and handling. There's a limit to three per household, and the two-week emergency supply sold out quickly. So you need to go over to My Patriot Supply by typing in prepare with mojo50.com and get yours today. While you're at it, you might want to go to americafirstradio.shop. That's americafirstradio.shop. Got a couple of t-shirts up there that uh, you ought to have. One is failure to prep is prepping to fail. To remind yourself that once we get through this crisis, you need to have that that, uh, four-week emergency food supply. And the other T-shirt is uh, a country boy can survive, and uh, that'll remind you to keep plenty of ammo on hand for hunting and self-defense. So, have you seen all of these clips circulating on YouTube with these out-of-control uh, police agencies uh, cracking down on people expressing their First Amendment right to protest? cracking down on people just out trying to enjoy nature. You probably saw that clip of that uh, sheriff's department in California arresting somebody that was uh, out on the ocean on a paddleboard, waited for him to come in and took him into custody because he was paddleboarding on the ocean. Now, how the hell does paddleboarding risk the national health? You talk about social distancing, you can't distance much more being out on the ocean by yourself. And yesterday, I had one of the most 
maddening, egregious examples I've seen so far. They were in Meridian, Idaho, of all places. Meridian, Idaho, small town, Idaho. The police were arresting a mother that was letting her kids play in the park. And they weren't just issuing her a citation or asking her to go home. They put her in handcuffs and let her off the park in front of her children. It's not the first time it's happened. But to see a a mother out playing with her kids arrested, this whole thing has gotten entirely out of control. And I said, uh, you know, I'm going to have to reevaluate my default position to always give police the benefit of the doubt. We, uh, we ask a lot from our police agencies and our, our police officers. And I'm always in a position where I, I always default to getting, giving them the benefit of the doubt. But d- during this current crisis, we have seen these, uh, these petty dictators, mayors and, and governors across this country default to this brand of tyranny that is uh, just unbelievable and the police officers are going out and enforcing these these edicts, these unconstitutional extrajudicial edicts. And they're violating their oath. All of these police officers that you see doing this are violating their oath. They don't take a, an oath to the governor. They don't even take an oath to their mayor. They take an oath to the Constitution to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and domestic. And if your governor is telling you that you can go out and buy lottery tickets or or go to the uh, package store and get liquor or go to the uh, buy weed, that those are all essential businesses while at the same time they're shutting down parks and arresting people for being outside in the fresh air and sunshine, and by God, arresting people for trying to go to church service, then you are no longer preserving and protecting and defending the Constitution. You have given your good offices over to the imposition of tyranny. And You ought to be ashamed of yourself, and you ought to turn in your badge if you're not willing to take a stand for the Constitution. Another little hotbed of tyranny is on social media. And I have no doubt that at some point they're going to discover my podcast and start stomping on them. They were already stomping on them all over on YouTube to the point where I I pulled the show off of YouTube because they made it impossible for anybody to find it. But, um, Susan, what's her name? Susan, Having trouble with us and W-O-J-K-I-C-K-I. Wajkiki. Wajkiki. Uh appeared on Crybaby Brian Stetler's CNN show and talked about that if uh, if you put anything up on YouTube that doesn't doesn't conform to the World Health Organization, who have been exposed as spreading disinformation of, of their own, that YouTube will take you down. 
Um, we've actually seen a 75% increase in the um, um, news coming from authoritative sources since the beginning of 2020. Um, so we've seen a, a lot of demand there. Um, but then we also. What does that mean? That means an, an increase in, in video views for those? Yeah. And so we talk about that. As- yeah, you've seen an increase in the video views for those because those are the ones that you rank highest. You take, uh, take any dissenting views uh, and, and hide them or demonetize them or simply censor them raising authoritative information. Um, but then we also talk about um, removing information that is problematic. You know, of course, anything that is medically unsubstantiated to so people saying like, take vitamin C, um, you know, um, take turmeric, like those are all will cure you. Um, those are the examples of things that would be a violation of our policy. Um, anything that would go against World Health Organization recommendations would be a violation of our policy. And so remove is another really important part of our mm-hmm. policy. This is uh, why if you're if you're getting your information from mainstream media or or these uh, these big tech monopolies like YouTube and Google, then you're being misinformed because we've already seen these big international agencies, these U.N. agencies be wrong again and again. They've got an agenda and their agenda is not uh, consistent or compatible with the uh, the American way of life, she's uh, she's actually on there saying that uh, taking vitamin C will get you removed from YouTube. Well, we know vitamin C does uh, help your immune system, as along with vitamin D and vitamin A and sunshine. But you dare not point that out on YouTube; they will take your video down. You're not just putting the truth next to the lie. You're taking the lie down. That's a pretty aggressive approach. Well, uh, I mean, we do we do remove, um, you know, across um, YouTube in non-pandemic times um, information that is a violation of our policy. And we've had community guidelines since the very beginning of YouTube. And we've always um, anything that is a violation of our policy, we do remove it. Um, Oh, man, we are in a terrible place. We have allowed uh, the the free flow of information to be controlled and corralled by these tech titans out in Silicon Valley who uh, are left wing first and foremost. And anything that goes against their worldview, they uh, they will censor it. That's why I keep pushing people to turn to alternative sources of media. You You have to exercise discretion. You have to. Uh, understand you have to weigh and uh, contrast and and exercise critical thought on what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe based on the information that's available to you. But putting these uh, these Mark Zuckerberg and and um, uh, Google and YouTube and Facebook. I got to admit, um, Jack Dorsey still allows quite a bit of uh, free exchange of information on Twitter. He will take you down if you upset the delicate sensibilities of some of his left wing um, buddies. But um, I don't know. Hell, I may be uh, being censored and, and uh, shadow banned on YouTube or on uh, Twitter and not even be available or being aware of it. Well, the president has said that uh, if any more Iranian gunboats approach these U.S. Navy ships, that they've got orders to send them to the bottom of the Persian Gulf. I don't think that's really even necessary. I think you could just take a, a sharpshooter, 
and put 150 caliber round right below the water line and send these uh, these boats most of them are fiberglass back to port and uh, and send a message at least that's what I would do well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you, as always, for joining us. Send me that email and let me know where you, you get the show and what time you listen. And join me again tomorrow right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, Keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck-on messes, and they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home.